let's just come. God, make your offering. We'll sing another song. There's a fountain filled with blood. Let's just come at this time.
spoke to my heart this morning. That, uh, I haven't forgotten about that, and I won't any time soon. Uh, so thankful that uh, I was talking to Enos Langman just a few minutes before the service tonight, and we were talking about it. You know, it's, uh, it's so easy to hold back just a little. Oh, I find it so hard sometimes to let it go, and uh, let God take care of things. And uh, I'm so thankful that He's patient with me. Thankful tonight for his grace. I thought as Pastor Andrea said, she took a bag lunch to school from grade 7, I believe, to grade 12. Um, I went from grade 9 in Deer Lake to grade 12, and I ate at Freddy's Restaurant on Main Street. <laughs> I guess most of you would know. But I had large fries and gravy and two slices of bread with butter for four years straight. What <laughs> a healthy lunch I ate. At Freddy's restaurant, they were so nice to us. When we would, we weren't going to school, we would call them and tell them we would be in today, so we didn't have to make our lunch. They would have it all made when we got to the restaurant. There was probably eight or ten of us. Good ones from Howie. So I'm so thankful tonight for God's grace and uh, talking to uh, Tammy tonight before the service started that she was doing the sound and said. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. The sound is uh, pretty technical here. And uh, she said, it doesn't seem like it gets any easier. I said, well, I've been doing worship here now for five years, I guess. And I don't think it gets any easier sometimes. Sometimes it's not too bad, but uh, a lot of times I say to my wife, you know what, boy, I'm always, I'm always sick before the service, and I'm always stressing out. And I, I put my signs in, and I go back in, and I change them. And I put some more in, and then I go back and I change them. But you know, if we give it all over to God, He performs the miracle. And He's such a good God. And He's performed so many miracles in my life, in my family. Where would we be without the grace of God tonight? Thank you for that tonight. We're going to sing another song tonight.
not only salvation, but sanctification. We stand before God today because of justification as though we have never sinned. What a wonderful thought that Jesus had brought salvation to us today. And we give thanks to God. Amen. Next Sunday night, we're doing an outreach Sunday as we'll be visiting the four smaller churches uh, right around us. We're here tonight with 200 people or more. And uh, in, uh, in uh, Birchingham, there's 15 tonight, 25 in the morning, 15 in the night. The church that has, been in, that has been established for 80 years. Don't you think they need our encouragement? And we want to go to these four smaller churches. If you haven't signed your name to the list, please do so. We want to fill these buses. Seems like everybody wants to go to Hampton. No one wants to go to Rocky Armour. Well, we want to go to Rocky Armour and support uh, the pastors there. They just lost their baby, as you know, and they need our support. Uh, so would you sign your name to the list? Uh, some of you saying you're driving in your vehicles. Well, we'd like for as many to go on the bus as possible so we can travel together. And that uh, we will post throughout the week the times. And uh, once we confer with the pastors, what times the buses will be leaving. Uh, people have asked this morning, can our children go? Why, certainly yes. Let them go. And our young people too. And we want to not only financially, the best thing are, that we can do is support them with our attendance. We're supporting them financially. We're supporting them with our prayers. But now we're going to let them know they got more than our money and they got more than our prayers. We're coming to let them know that we love them and we're supporting these little churches. So please, God has dropped this into our hearts and we want you to support it. Will you good that Pastor Jared and Jenna back with us? And then... They were gone for over two weeks, but it seemed a lot longer than that. But I made sure when he picked up his vehicle at the airport that he didn't forget us. Amen. I almost definitely, but he, he's still with us today. Uh, we have a wonderful staff, don't we? Don't you just love them? And God has blessed us, blessed us, blessed us. Our youth pastor's coming, and God has given him a word for this congregation to see. to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. <coughs> Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, 
and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answering and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, who fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Precious and eternal Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful time we've had together. Lord, we thank you for your presence, Lord. And now your presence is so real tonight. God, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to understand your word. Give us strength, Lord, and give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The title... Well, the message this evening is having eyes of compassion. There is no doubt in my mind that we are living in a busy world. There is constant movement. There is constant work being done. There are people going to and fro. No matter the time of day, there is traffic moving and people are headed in a direction. Every day there are people with destinations on their minds and many of us are going from point A to point B we have a goal in mind we have a direction that we want to go in and we do our best to get there as fast as we can and we don't enjoy sometimes being slowed down it seems to me every time I find myself in a rush I get stuck behind somebody slow Someone driving less than the actual speed limit. I have lately been finding this more often than not. And every time I do, I say, God, why is this happening to me? When I'm in a rush in the grocery store trying to grab a few things to get to the church for junior youth or youth, I always run into someone that likes to have a chat. And I find myself trying to rush away, being honest now tonight. But see, I come to know and I believe God puts people in our paths for a reason. But it's up to you and I what we do in those situations. Right. We can be active and we can stop for a moment because what's five minutes? I've often said that to myself, what's five minutes? For someone that might need an encouraging word. What's five minutes to take out of my busy schedule? so that I may do something for someone. And I know that 
God sometimes puts these distractions in our way just to get our attention. And it's our instinct to figure, how can I get about this so that it doesn't affect me, or that it doesn't affect me too much? How can I get to the other side of the road, like the characters of our scripture, so that I'm not slowed down? Our flesh gets in the way of what God wants to do sometimes. That's right. We are living in a me, myself, and I society. And even the me, myself, and I are too much some days. Anyone ever talk to themselves? Do it all the time. Maybe it's because I, to make up for the time I'm missing, chatting with my wife. <laughs> did for people they're either afraid to do or we just don't have the time to do it anymore yeah. everything is about self little do we realize that scriptures are coming alive when they talk about the last days second timothy 3 and 2 tells us people will be lovers of themselves right. lovers of money boastful proud abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful and this is now unfolding in our lifetime. The apps on our phone, just look at your child's apps or your young people's apps, you'll find ways on those apps, filters they're called, to make you look better, to make your face shine brighter, take away all the wrinkles and all whatever is in there. <laughs> Coming up with all kinds of diets to help you lose weight so you look better. There are all kinds of makeup products, according to Pastor White, there's lots of Mary Kay up there, to help with the wrinkles and aging. I might have to get some of that because somebody said today I look 40 years old. <laughs> we are in a me society, a self society, where men and women are losing the sight of compassion for others. We now have a prime opportunity as a church to become better focused on others and their needs because the world is not doing it. I like this poem someone wrote. It says, when you see someone in need, love demands a loving deed. Don't just say you love him true. Prove it by the deeds you do. Yes. Someone once said, we preach too much on love these days. I beg to differ. If anything, we don't preach enough of it. The fire and brimstone messages have its time and place, but a world that needs a lot of love, we need to be people talking about the love of Christ more often. Yes, amen. 
and how he loves the people that is around us. People say we don't hear much of sin anymore. Sin becomes real when the love of God is shined on the hearts of men and women as they see their need of repentance. Tonight, church, we need to have eyes of compassion for the world that is around us. The only way we're going to win people to Jesus is if we walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus. This world needs more compassion and more compassionate people who agrees with me tonight. This is our chance as a church to make a big impact on this community. We need some more good Samaritans in Deerly. Amen? First of all, I want to talk about the traveler. Second, I want to talk about the tragedy. Third, I want to talk about the touch. I want to talk about the traveler, but before I do, I need to look into the details of, before we look into the details of Jesus' parable, I just wanted to give you some background. What led Jesus to talking to his audience about the Good Samaritan? See, wherever Jesus was, there was multitudes of people following him. But among these multitudes, you had the ones that liked to test Jesus. You had the scribes and the Pharisees, the lawyers, those whose sole purpose was to test Jesus, to tempt them. The scripture in verses 25 to 29 talks about a certain lawyer that stood up very proudly, began to test Jesus. Now, a lawyer was one who professed to be well-skilled in the laws of Moses. He knew them. And whose business it was to explain them. So he knew them very well. This man was hoping to try and trip Jesus up. He knew the law. And was hoping to perplex him. To lead him, if possible, to contradict some of the rules of the law. His first question to Jesus was, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, knowing that this lawyer was very well versed in the law, posed this question with another question and said, what does the law say? And so the lawyer, being really proud, gave the answer which was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He answered correctly, rightly, scripture says. Then Jesus says, do this and you shall live. The emphasis was on the do. He's saying that if you want to use the law as a leverage to get into heaven, then you better follow everything in it by always loving God every second, every hour, every day, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, from the day you are born until the day you die. The phrase do this means to keep on doing this forever. The word love in the present tense meaning constantly and continuously. That also includes loving your neighbor perfectly all the time. That's the standard that God sets. If you want to get in, then be perfect. One slip up, you're out. This lawyer was condemned by the very law he quoted. The purpose of the law is to show us that we can't keep it. 
Galatians 3 and 24 states that the aim of the law is to lead us to Christ Jesus. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith in Him. The law then points out that we're sinners and that we're in desperate need of a Savior. How many here tonight are thankful for the Savior this evening? We could not keep that law. Then the lawyer asks another question. See, he doesn't like to be embarrassed in such a large crowd. And he's trying everything in his power to make Jesus look bad. But he is unable to do this. And instead, he's making himself look really bad. He asks this, and who is my neighbor? This is where we find our traveler in the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells. Our traveler is known as a certain man. We don't know much about the man other than that he was a Jew and that he was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho on a very dangerous route. Jericho was situated about 15 to 20 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem. Scripture tells us that he fell among thieves in verse 30. These were highway men. And they not only took things from you, but they would endanger the life of a person, leaving them for dead. They were robbers. Now see, from Jerusalem to Jericho, the country was rocky and mountainous, and in some parts, very scarcely inhabited. It meant not too many lived along this route. It was a great place for these robbers to hide, among the rocks, among the crevices, which made it a very convenient place. This was also a much frequented road. Jericho was a large place, and there was much traveling to Jerusalem. It was such an awful road that many would travel in groups called caravans, or they would hire people such as guards to guard them as they walked from Jerusalem to Jericho. See, this man that we know as the traveler did not hire anyone, nor did he travel with people. But he was alone on this highway heading for home. Out of nowhere, he was attacked and the people stole his belongings, left him naked in the ditch, left him half dead. Not only did they steal from him, but they nearly killed him. The men knew that it would be only a matter of time that he would be dead, that it wasn't worth their effort to kill him. It was more painful just to let him be, to die alone in the ditch. How cruel it was of these men to do this to a lone traveler. The traveler had done nothing to deserve such a fate. I read a script someone wrote about the traveler from his point of view, and it went something like this, the traveler's point of view. He said, I had just left Jerusalem on my way to Jericho, which is about a 15-mile trip home. I should tell you, the road I was about to take is very treacherous and dangerous, known to be a place of death and robbery. There were huge boulders and caves, places for men to hide and wait. I knew I shouldn't have walked this path alone, but there was nothing I could do. I had to get home to my family. So I began to walk. I had been walking five miles now. 
and I had about 10 more to go, when all of a sudden a man jumped on my back from a rock above me, then before I knew it, another man grabbed me by the legs, knocking me to the ground. A third man grabbed me by the head and slammed it against the rocky path. I was in so much pain, and I wanted to scream, but I couldn't do anything. They took everything that I had on me, and they even took my clothes, and one guy turned and he kicked me, and another guy kicked me again and threw me into the ditch. For a brief moment, I watched them run away. I was left there numb and drifted in and out of consciousness. The Traveler tonight represents so many people in our world today. Yeah. So many have been beaten and bruised by our society. Not just physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. There are many out there today who have found themselves to be kicked about by this world, not having anywhere to turn. It's sad to say that many have been beaten down by others. Many have been left for dead because of alcohol and drugs. And we have lives that have been torn apart because of abuse and rape. We have children that have been scarred because of abuse. Find it hard to trust. The traveler that we mentioned is a representation of this hurting and dying world. The traveler today is not just someone across town, but the traveler today could be your very own son or daughter who has been beaten and bruised by this world. It could be a family member. It could be a mother or a father or a cousin. It could be anybody that is close to you today. We often don't want to think about the traveler as close as this because it causes us to realize just how close to home this traveler is. Tonight, we need to have eyes of compassion to see those that need to know what it is to be loved by God. There's people broken and dearly tonight that need to know the love of Jesus. There's people that are hurting out there in the ditches of dearly tonight that need to know that there is hope, that there is a Savior of the world. Secondly, tonight, we have the tragedy. When we look at the things and the people around us and we see the hurt that is in this world being produced by sinful men and women, we look at it as a tragedy. But I want to tell you tonight, although those things look very awful, the biggest tragedy is not what has happened to men and women, but the biggest tragedy is when the church looks upon them from a distance and doesn't do anything. The story is told of a group of men digging a hole at a workplace. And the ground gave way, and the men who were digging was swallowed up by the earth that fell. Groups of workers, onlookers, jumped into the pit, down into the hole, and began to dig frantically. One man was standing on the edge of the pit, watched the men as they quickly tried to dig to reach the men. He stood there just watching. He felt sad, but that was about it because it didn't affect him. None of those people belonged to him. Out of nowhere, a voice cries out to the man, and he said, his name was Bob. Bob, one of your brothers is down there. And before you knew it, he was down in the ditch, digging in the hole. Why did he do this? Why did he begin to dig? Because it became personal to him. Tonight, there are many onlookers looking down into the pits and ditches 
many feel for the people, but there's no heart connection. They're just feelings. There's no action. There's no compassion. It is said that not less than 12,000 priests and Levites dwelt at Jericho. And as their business was at Jerusalem, of course, there would be many of them constantly traveling on that road. It is here in this scripture that we find the idea of caring for oneself over someone else. It starts off with a priest who came to the place where the man was. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. See, this priest probably remembered that he who touched a dead man was unclean for seven days in Numbers 1911. Find that. He could not be sure, but he feared that the man was dead. To touch him would mean losing his turn of duty in the temple. And he refused to risk that. He set the claims of ceremonial above those of charity. The temple and his liturgy meant more to him than the pain of a man in a ditch. Religion does not make one compassionate. It makes one ceremonial. Jesus makes one compassionate. Being the traveler, it must have been very hard for him to see someone of a high place in the temple completely ignore him and walk past. Secondly, we find Levi. The office or duty of the Levites was to render assistance to the priests in their services. In the journey of the Israelites through the wilderness, it was their duty to transport the various parts of the tabernacle and the sacred utensils. It was their duty to see that the tabernacle and the temple were kept clean to prepare supplies for the sanctuary. The bandits were in the habit of using decoys. One of their numbers would act the part of a wounded man. And when some unsuspecting traveler stopped over him, the others would rush upon him and overpower him. And so the Levite was a man whose motto was safety first, me first. He would take no risk to help anyone else. He too passed to the other side. The biggest tragedy not the wounded, but the greater tragedy is the one who sees the wounded and does nothing. That's right. Amen. Lord, help us if we are too caught up in our day-to-day -day routines and we won't stop for five minutes. Yes. I was rebuked of that just a little while ago. Lord, help us if we won't stop for a few minutes to help somebody. Some seminary students were asked to preach a sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And a man by the name of Phyllis Lee tells an interesting story about what happened on the day they were scheduled to preach. When the hour arrived for their sermon, each one was deliberately delayed en route to class. As the students raced across campus, they encountered a person who pretended to be in need. Ironically, not one of the students stopped to help. Lee commented, after all, they had an important sermon to preach. See, Christians preach the most powerful sermons when they live 
what they say they believe. Amen. When they demonstrate God's kindness to others, not just talk about it. One of the major obstacles to showing compassion is making prejudgments. But who we think is worthy of our compassion. Jesus told a parable to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Who qualifies as worthy of our neighborly acts? We ought not to develop a rubric system to see who qualifies for us to help them. Tonight, if you've got to look at what family did they come from, or look at, is it worth it to help them because they're going to fall off the wagon again tomorrow? Or is it something worth my time? Is it worth my effort? If that's what we got to do before we climb into the ditch, then we ought to pack our bags in, forget the scripture that says, for God so loved the world. Yeah. It is a wrong attitude, I believe, to pick and choose who we think is worthy of our help when Jesus stepped down out of the portals of heaven for all of yeah. mankind. The priest and the Levite would not lend aid to one of their own. You know in your heart that you would lend aid to someone in your church family or in your family. I urge you to pray for more compassion. It's a tragedy when we can't even help our own. It's a tragedy when we see the needs around us but do so little for them. Listen tonight, men and women are dying in the ditches of Deer Lake while we sit here tonight very comfortably in a very warm place. There's people that don't have enough money to turn on heat tonight. That's right. I don't care what so-and-so did to you. Some of us need to build a bridge and get over it. Forgive them, even though they may not know it. The priest and the Levite, they wouldn't help their own. We need not to be like that. They were not willing to climb into the ditch, the dirty ditch, to help out a fellow Jew. Why? Because they had no compassion. They wouldn't even help their own. Dr. Scott Kurtzman, chief of surgery at Waterbury Hospital in Connecticut was on his way to deliver a lecture when he witnessed a horrible crash involving 20 vehicles. The doctor shifted into trauma mode, worked his way through the mess of metal and called out, who needs help? After 90 minutes of assisting and the victims were taken to area hospitals, Dr. Kurtzman commented, a person with my skills simply can't drive by someone who was injured. I refuse to live my life like that. He helped people he didn't even know. And some of us here tonight will drive by family members, church members, and not even help them. We need more people like the doctor who is willing to go into the mess of people's lives and say, who needs help? Amen. Forget about the foolishness. Who needs help? Oh, there's many in dearly tonight. Yeah. Need to know Jesus. Thirdly and lastly tonight. I want to look at the touch. What Jesus said in verse 33 probably caused his audience to gasp where he talked about a Samaritan. 
probably caused his audience to gasp for breath. <laughs> See, while studying the scripture, I found out something about the Samaritans and the Jews. And that was they were arch enemies. The Jews despised the Samaritans. And so when Jesus says a certain Samaritan came by and touched the man, he did this on purpose to teach his audience the importance of equality in the family of God. They had no dealings with each other, see? They hated each other. It was this fact which rendered the conduct of this good man so striking, and which was thus set in strong contrast with the conduct of the priest and the Levite. They would not touch their own afflicted and wounded countrymen. He who could not be expected to aid a Jew overcame all the usual hostility between the people, saw in the wounded man a neighbor, a brother, one who needed aid, and kindly denied himself to show kindness to the stranger, and he stooped down to touch him. Yes. It was the Samaritan that had the eyes of compassion and wasn't afraid to touch him. The priests and the Levites showed no compassion, none whatsoever. Compassion is love in action. I believe love and compassion is what we need more of in this world. To have compassion on someone, you must be willing to do something for them. But Jesus looked at the crowds. He had compassion on them. And what did he do? We sing the chorus. He had compassion on me. Touch my eyes that I might see. Wash my feet that I might walk in his ways. And then he says this. Cleanse my heart almost. Gave me perfect peace with him. What a wonderful Savior we serve today. Amen. What a wonderful Savior. See, he was compassionate. And he was passionate about his work on this earth because he had we need to be willing to serve out of compassion. If you're not able to do the dirty work in the ditch, ditches of the earth, how are you able to serve? It's in the ditches that we find those that have been beaten and bruised by the world. It's in the ditches that we find what real ministry is when we begin to get into the messiness of people's lives. Everyone wants to have more worship. Everyone wants to have more services. You don't sing the old, you don't sing the new, or you don't do the certain Bible version. It will get pretty foolish with you. <laughs> Time to get over that petty differences. Move on. If you don't like it, what I'm saying, that's okay. I didn't come to nearly win a popularity contest. <laughs> I came to preach the gospel to love your young people to teach them the ways of Jesus. Hear me out tonight. If you can't do ditch ministry, how can you do the ministry of the church? That's right. Said in the beginning, it's a dog eat dog world out there. People are dying and going to hell while we live comfortably in our homes, come to church comfortably in our pews. Like I said, we have heat. Keep us warm. Come on, church. We gotta wake up tonight. We got to realize that the greatest service that you could ever do 
is not inside these walls, but is what you do from Monday to Sunday that counts. We need to get our eyes off the small things, get our eyes on Jesus, be willing to serve in the ditches and become good Samaritans in dear Amen. The priest and the Levite thought the greatest service they could do was in the temple. But they were wrong. The greatest service they could have done was stoop down to touch the man that was in the ditch. And comforted the wounded man. Wrapped up his bandages. Put oil and wine on his sword. Brought him to the safety. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? We were in the darkness of sin. He came to where we were. He picked us up by his love, showed us his grace for our sins. And because of his love for us, we are now born again. We are washed by the snow today. We were in the ditches of sin. But because of the cross, we are now on the highway to heaven. Jesus found us where we were. He came to where we were. He stooped down low when he stepped out of heaven to touch the wounded and the beaten of this world. He lowered himself for us. Tonight, the Good Samaritan didn't have to do anything that he did. He didn't have to climb up his animal and get on his knees, bandage his wounds, pour oil on the sword, to take away the pain or wine on the sword, to take away the infection. But he did. Because he had eyes of compassion. Jesus. He touched the victim. He dressed the victim to him. Let the man ride on his animal while he walked in the dangerous territory. Paid money to the innkeeper for extended care. He even promised credit for the additional funds if needed. He stopped to help a Jewish man. Even though he knew that Jews despised Samaritans, and that most of his fellow Samaritans hated Jews, but see, he acted sacrificially. His deed cost him time and money, and he took a risk by stooping and stopping on that Jericho road. He could have been attacked as well by Christ. This man went above and beyond his duty to care for this Jew. If we take seriously Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, we will sacrifice our time and money to help all kinds of people. We may not have the opportunity to do something dramatic, as some people do, but we can offer kindness to a stranger, kindness to a person dying with cancer, or a misunderstood teenager, showing mercy to others, is a way to express our gratitude to God for His salvation. When we reach out to others, we show our desire to obey Jesus and His command to love God above all and our neighbors as ourselves. Getting involved, even when it means taking a risk, it's a good risk. Amen? Amen. Jesus showed His audience that the greatest act that anyone could do is to show mercy. At the end of the parable, he asked the Lord, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer answered, He who 
shown mercy to him. That's right. The lawyer even say Samaritan because of the hatred in his heart towards them. Jesus showed us mercy by becoming the penalty for our sin. We deserve death, but he took our place. Chorus reads out, Mercy walked in, pleaded my case, called to the stand, God's saving grace. The blood was presented that covered my sin, forgiven, and the mercy walked in. The Samaritan took great care of the man that he could have left to die. The difference between the man and the priest and the Levite was the good Samaritan had eyes of compassion. To love your neighbor as yourself requires the same urgent kind of love. It's a love that notices the need of another person and won't rest until it's been met. It's a gentle, tender <coughs> love that thinks and acts carefully. It's a sacrificial, compassionate love that a nameless Samaritan had for a fallen traveler. It's the kind of love God wants to share with your neighbors through you. How much are we willing to sacrifice is a measure of our love. Closing tonight, the musicians in return. We have the ability to walk the ditches of the to become people of compassion that is willing to get our hands dirty, to show men and women of this town that we love them and that we have something to offer. <coughs> See, showing compassion does not mean you have to do give, give money. Showing compassion can simply be by giving time to a person who always has or you always try to brush out. Compassion could mean bringing over a meal to that poor widow that lives down the road. Compassion could be walking alongside someone you know who's struggling with an addiction and is needing a crying shoulder or listening here. Compassion never goes out of fashion. That's right. Compassion never goes out of fashion. In the movie The Four Feathers, Harry Faversham left England in the 1880s to search for his friends in the King's army in the Sudan. In this quest, Harry got lost and was near death in the vast deserts of Africa. And as his life was ebbing away, he was rescued by an African who cared for him. Stunned by the man's kindness to a stranger, Harry asked why his new friend had done so much for him. His friend's response was the right. God put you in my way. Maybe you've been asking God to keep people out of your way because you're really busy. But why don't you try asking him to put people in your way so that you can be a blessing to them. Amen. People are crying out in our community for help. We have the answer tonight. The answer is Jesus tonight. Thank you, Lord. We have what they need in this book tonight. That is the touch of Jesus. The Good Samaritan got down on the traveler's level, touched him. Unlike the priest and the Levite, who were sacred of the fatherland, he got down on his level and became an example of Christ. We can be a witness of the power and the love of Christ tonight.
unless we become more like Jesus and get down on people's levels, get down into the ditches, we will never be able to do justice of what it is to be a neighbor to those around us. Rest every head down, every eye closed. I always like to give an altar call for salvation. If you're here tonight and you're saying, I need the touch of Jesus on my life. I need to know what it is to be loved by Him. Then I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I recognize tonight that I am a sinner need of your grace and your mercy and your love. I recognize that I need saving. Come into my heart. Cleanse me of my sin. Wash me white as snow. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you pray that prayer tonight and you have asked Jesus into your life, continue to ask you to pray. We're going to sing a hymn, Search Me, O God, and Know My Heart Today. As we are singing this this evening, I ask that you would search your own heart this evening. Search your heart and see what God is saying to you. First verse is, Search Me, O God, and Know My Heart Today. Try me, O Savior, know my strength, thoughts of prayer. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. But if you head down, if you close, we're just going to sing this for a few moments. And if you're here tonight and you need to come to this altar, I urge you to come. If you want to give your life over to Jesus, I urge you to come as we sing this course a few times. Then we'll sing something else. Let's just take a moment. Let's search our hearts and examine our hearts and see. And search me, O God.
right and we come to the altar this evening. We're going to sing a few courses this evening. The altar call is simple. Maybe the Lord is speaking to your heart and He's asking you to do something for Him that you've been pushing away. So I ask you to come this evening, surrender all to Him. Come, let's gather around this altar. Let's pray that the Lord will put people in our way so that we can be an encouragement and a blessing to them. We're going to sing the chorus, Make Me More Like Thee. Jesus, make me more like Thee. Can we stand as we sing this together? I invite you to come. Sure, did I? Okay, it's up to you. 